Can somebody please tell me what kind of a world we live in where George Santos, the Republican, gets expelled from Congress and yet Elon Omar, anti-Semite Elon Omar, Rashida Tlaib, they get to remain in Congress. They don't get kicked out. But George Santos, kicked out by his own fellow Republicans, Mike Johnson and the Republicans are in control of the House. They expel their own member, their own party person who literally keeps them in a very in control of a very, very slim majority. And George Santos is that I'm not defending Santos, but Elon Omar, she gets welcome to Congress. Elon Omar, no problem. You get to stay. Enjoy your stay. Same thing with the Shidi Tlaib. They accuse Israel of apartheid, accuse Israel of genocide. They are vicious anti-Semites. They despise Israel. They're pro-Hamas. They support Hamas. They falsely accuse Israel of bombing a hospital for days and days and then don't back down, don't retract, don't ever apologize. And yet no problem. They can stay in Congress. But George Santos, look, he may be a sociopath. He, he, you know, he's not a threat. Okay, George Santos. He's he, number one. He's not running again, and number two, he's probably going to get charged with a bunch of crimes. Probably going to end up in jail. So I'm not worried about George Santos. You want to expel George Santos? Let the Democrats do it. When have you ever seen a Democrat, the Democrat House, uh, actually kick out or even censure one of their own people? Never. But the Republicans, they're always doing to themselves. They have this self-hating guilt where they literally hurt themselves. They have to expel their own member from Congress. Only the sixth time ever that that has happened. Elon Omar, Rashida Tlaib, no problem. By the way. Elon Omar was on the House Foreign Affairs Committee for years until Kevin McCarthy kicked her off. She literally, she literally a terrorist supporter with a history of vicious anti-Semitism. Hey, you get to be on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, not not like the House Financial, not some kind of House Oversight Committee. It's just a total disgrace. All right, a little bit more on George Santos coming up. The House, meanwhile, this week, in other news, passed a resolution saying that Israel has a right to exist. Congratulations, Israel. You actually have a right to exist. And same story here. What other country needs Congress to affirm its right to exist. Obviously, this is a good resolution in a sense, but the fact that you need this resolution, it's like an embarrassment, not on Israel, an embarrassment on the United States of America and on the U.S. Congress that, like, this resolution even has to be stated affirming Israel's right to exist. You know what? That the Iran, where, 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 why don't they affirm Iran's right to exist? I don't think Iran has a right to exist. I want a congressional, by the way, I want a congressional resolution saying that Biden, that Joe Biden has a right to exist. But, and by the way, I bet that would get fewer votes than Israel. And you know, Congress still has not sent funding to Israel. After all these weeks, they cannot bring themselves after this horrific, horrific attack, obviously unspeakably horrific attack. They cannot bring themselves to send $14 billion to Israel because the whole thing's been totally politicized. They're fighting over which conditions, which preconditions should be included before they send Israel the funding. The Democrats are disgraceful and the Republicans are not much better. Republicans in the Senate, again, the House passed the bill, 14, $14.3 billion to Israel, no conditions except, oh, by the way, we're taking that money from IRS, so we, we're going to have fewer IRS agents, so it's a win-win. But, uh, all right, we're not getting into that, rehashing right, all that right now, but the Senate says we want border security at the southern border or else we're not passing funding to Israel. Now, I believe in border funding more than anyone on the planet, more than anybody in the Senate, but why on earth should Israel be suffering because Joe Biden has opened up the southern border? So that's a disgrace, but here's the most disturbing part of the Israel resolution is not the fact that it needs to take place, but, uh, you know, Iran does not have a right to exist. I mean, what would happen if Congress voted on a resolution affirming Iran's right to exist? How many Democrats, every Democrat would vote in favor of that? How many Republicans would vote in favor of it? I think it would probably pass. OK, what about the PA, Palestinian Authority? Uh, what about Afghanistan? OK, which is controlled by the Taliban. But what's here, here is really disturbing is that two. Con- and look, it passed overwhelmingly. And I, w- I was actually surprised as I'll explain why. But 
two congressmen voted against this resolution. One Republican, one Democrat. Uh, Rashida Tlaib voted present. The aforementioned anti-Semite Rashida Tlaib voting present is the same as voting against it. As we know, it's just a, a silly, sorry, pitiful way because they can't they don't have the courage to actually vote what they really feel. So they vote present. Uh, but Thomas Massey, Republican of Kentucky, and not enough is being said about this. This man, it clearly, this is not his first offense. I have no problem saying it. I know he's a Republican. He may be conservative. He's an anti-Semite, okay? And, and, and now why did Thomas Massey, he actually explained what his issue was. Mike Lawler, who represents Rockland County, of course, Muncie, New Square, etc., he actually put forth this resolution. And Massey said, I agree with reaffirming Israel's right to exist, but I don't agree with equating anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism. He says anti-Semitism is deplorable. But including the criticism of Israel to, to, to be defined as anti-Semitism is not helpful. That's why he voted against this thing. So here's the problem with that is if you look at the wording of this resolution, it does not equate anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism. Here's what it says. It says, quote, the House of Representatives reaffirms Israel's right to exist, recognizing that denying Israel recognizes that denying Israel's right to exist is a form of anti-Semitism, rejects calls for Israel's destruction and the elimination of the only Jewish state and condemns the Hamas attack. So here's what it says. It says that denying Israel's right to exist as a form of anti-Semitism, that is a very, very, very accurate, precise, that's not controversial. So Thomas Massey says, I couldn't vote for this thing because it equates anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. No, it does not. It doesn't say anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. Yeah, you can disagree with Israel's policies. You can believe in a two-state solution or whatever nonsense you want to believe in. That doesn't make you an anti-Semite. But denying Israel's right to exist is a form of anti-Semitism. Thomas Massey says he doesn't like this bill because it says that denying Israel's right to exist is a form of anti-Semitism. And uh, what, what are you talking about? How could you possibly, possibly vote against that? And the proof is the shock. Now, there were 21 congressmen who were not there. That could be for any number of reasons. Uh, Nancy Pelosi was not present at this uh, at this vote. She didn't vote. Matt Gates did not vote. I'm curious. I imagine he would have done the right thing. Kevin McCarthy did not vote. OK, Cori Bush, progressive squad member, uh, socialist squad member, I should say. Cori Bush, she actually voted in favor of this bill. And I checked. No, no, no. She was not there. I'm sorry. She was not present. But I checked Elon Omar and Ocasio. Both vo- vo- voted in favor of this resolution. I was stunned. What am I going to tell you? And I believe that uh, J- Jamal Bauman also did. So pretty shocking there. But um, yeah, that, that's Thomas Thomas Massey for you. Now, before we get to the other news of the day, uh, I know uh, obviously the truce in, in in Gaza has expired, and essentially Hamas broke the ceasefire, and Hamas essentially refused. You know, it does appear, and this is something we have to spend time on a different day. Because we have to dive in. A lot of you have been asking me questions, my opinion about the ceasefire and, of course, the return of hostages. Obviously, there's no discussion. Obviously, the returning of the hostages, Chaste Hashem, Baruch Hashem, you know, all the children are home. That is an incredible, incredible Yeshua. The vast majority of women, I believe, have been returned, Baruch Hashem. Now, we, there's still many. It's incredibly bittersweet because there's still so many hostages. At this point, I guess it's mostly adult men, but what, like some, something like 140 Yidin right now who are trapped, who are being held captive. The reports of what they're going through, what they're suffering through, ba- based on what the hostages who returned have said, have testified, it, it, it is very, very shocking, disturbing. I, I mean, there are no words. Any words I use to describe it, unfortunately, are, are you know, are only going to diminish. But it's horrific. Now, Baruch Hashem, we are where we are, because imagine if I told you we get so used to it. Imagine if I told you a few weeks ago that at this stage we would have, and it, it, we would have, what, 140, you know, out of, out of 230-something, 
many, many, many dozens, I guess nearly a hundred, some of them are Thai nationals or whatever, uh, have actually returned and are home and are, and are safe with their families. Some of these terrific stories, a father alone where his wife and children were not with him, where they were held hostage, and etc. This, this, this little girl, uh, Avigail Idan, and just one story after the next. So Baruch Hashem, it's obviously, that's great news, and I think Israel would have continued and uh, again, who knows what Hamas has up their sleeve, but Israel now has resumed the fighting. They're pounding away just as fiercely as before, and at least it doesn't seem as though that it did a lot of damage to Israel strategically. So that's all the good news, but we have to get into that at a later time, but I certainly am aware there's a lot there to d- dive into, and now this bombshell report from the New York Times that uh, Israeli leadership, the Israeli government, saw a document, a 40-page document about the entire plan, the entire terror attack being planned out, describing it in in great detail, uh, in, in accurate detail, a year ago, and uh, dismissed it and said, no, that's just a fantasy. They're not actually going to follow through with it. We don't know if it's true, but I don't believe anybody's denying the report. The New York Times is reporting it, and they seem to have very good sources. That's something also we have to get into another time because that just broke. Uh, all right, President Biden is using an obscure law to ban gas stoves. And literally, uh, uh, this is from the Cold War era. This is the Defense Production Act, which gives the president all sorts of uh, executive powers to be able to allocate millions of dollars for for the for the country's defensive purposes. In other words, to defend against an enemy. What's the enemy? Well, what's the enemy? Gas stoves are the enemy. The cl- climate change is the enemy. Literally, you cannot make this stuff up. This is no exaggeration. He's using what's called the Defense Production Act to um, to, to 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 allocate millions and millions of dollars to the manufacturing of electric heat pumps because they want to replace gas furnaces and gas stoves with electric heat pumps. This is incredible. So here's what we've gone from. Okay, I remember when we told you, and, and there, there are all sorts of government documents that prove this, that Biden wants to ban gas stoves, right? In New York, they're banning gas stoves. In California, they've done it. And we said, and they said, oh, conspiracy theorists, what are you talking about? By Democrats, we would never ban gas stoves. You can keep your gas stoves. Well, We've gone to that. Literally, it's a Fox News headline, quote, Biden invokes wartime powers to fund electric heaters as he cracks down on gas appliances. Biden invoked this law. He's pouring one hundred and sixty nine million dollars. And that's only the start of it uh, to accelerate the manufacturing of electric heat pumps as an alternative to gas controlled furnaces. OK, the 1950 he's using the a Cold War era obscure law, the Defense Reduction Act, which is from 1950. And what that what that said was that let's say they needed to produce tanks or let's say they needed to produce weaponry, right, because of an enemy and they needed to do it quick. So they would need to basically commandeer private businesses. So they would basically need to take an assembly line Ford or GM or Chrysler or whatever. I don't know how often this was actually used. I remember Trump used this, I believe, to create ventilators. And that was very warranted. That was justified because even though it wasn't a, an enemy threat, it wasn't like a war, but it was, uh, you know, it wasn't a military threat, obviously, but it was a, it was a huge, huge, huge threat in terms of covid this is climate change. This is gas stoves, okay? Gas stoves. Oh, boy, everybody. The gas stoves are coming. Watch out. We're going to have to hide. Get in the bunker because the gas stoves are on their way. That's, that's what this is. So they're using this money because they want to increase the manufacturing, and it's supposed to be used for, like, weapons. And they're using it. The, the weapon in, of choice here for Biden is electric heat pumps. They want more electric heat pumps, and they're going to phase out the gas stoves. So listen to quotes here. Jennifer Granholm, the energy secretary. She said, quote, getting more American-made electric heat pumps on the market will help save families money with efficient heating and cooling technology. And she says, these investments will create thousands of high-quality, good-paying manufacturing jobs. So no uh, explanation of why they're using the Defense Reduction Act, but what she does is it's going to create jobs. Don't you love it? We're going to spend $169 million to create 
Good paying manufacturing jobs. Well, good, it's good paying. Yeah, I'm the one paying. You're the one paying. Okay, it's coming out of your tax dollars. Where I love that when they use millions of dollars, they literally could usually, when you look at the number of jobs that are created by this kind of thing, it's very few. They could usually, $169 million divided. If there's going to be 100 new jobs created, just divide the money by 100. Just give the people the cash. They're going to be end up making more money than they are using these tax-funded programs. Meanwhile, John Podesta, who's the clean energy czar for the White House, he said, quote, listen to this. Uh, it's it's comical. Today's, I mean, I feel like I'm in the Babylon Bee, but I'm not. Today's Defense Production Act funds for heat pump shows President Biden is treating climate change as the crisis it is. And so, in other words, he's actually, like, justifying it. Like, oh, yeah, look, thank goodness. Like, thankfully, Biden actually realizes that we need the Defense Production Act. Like, it's warranted because climate change, it's like we're, we're waging war on climate change. And then Ali Zaidi Ali Zaidi, who serves, or Zaidi, I guess, who serves as Biden's national climate advisor, called Biden is using his wartime emergency powers to turbocharge U.S. manufacturing of clean technologies and strengthen our energy security. What? Strengthen our energy security? What is he talking about? In fact, by the way, the, 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 the best thing Biden could do to strengthen energy security would be to actually allow drilling, allow oil drilling and natural gas and fracking, which, of course, he has, he has basically, he hasn't actually banned it. But he's made it virtually impossible for companies to do that and to expand it. All right. So getting back to George Santos for just a moment. So they they actually did vote. They needed like a two thirds majority. So obviously a lot of Republicans joined in to expel George Santos. And what's incredible, and a caller left me this voicemail. He's 100 percent right. Wait for the Democrats to get in power and let them expel George Santos. Well, but he's not going to run again. He's not going to be in charge. I don't care. When do what? Why on earth do Republicans need to shoot themselves in the foot and expel one of their own, especially when they have such an incredibly slim majority. I mean, this is very, very risky. And I understand you're going to tell me, well, he wasn't going to run again anyway, so you got to win the seat. And probably a Democrat, very very likely that seat's going to flip back Democrat. That seat's been Democrat for a very long time in Long Island and New York. But why do the Republicans always have to be the ones? Democrats would never, ever, Pelosi would never do this. No Democrat in their right mind would vote to expel a fellow Democrat. I don't care what they did. And here, George Santos, and I understand that he, you know, he's a sociopath, and I understand that he lied about many, many things, including about being Jewish and about having a mother who's like a Holocaust survivor, like lies, just fabrications. The man is living in a fantasy world. He's living in an alternate universe, and he deceived voters and all of that. Fine. Let the Democrats discipline him, but why do you need to be the one to expel him? Literally, Democrats, there could be a serial killer. I mean, there could be a serial killer who gets elected to Congress as a Democrat, and they would never, ever... Uh, do this. They would never, ever expel one of their own. And especially if they only led, had a, like a four seat majority in the House. And the Republicans, the, the reason that their own worst enemy, by the way, is not even because it's not like you're going to, well, but what do you mean? They're doing the upstanding thing. They're, they're making the right move. It's the move of conscience. It's the, it's, it, it's the right decision. He deserves to be expelled. We can debate whether he deserves or does not deserve. It's a whole big debate, by the way, because he hasn't been convicted of anything. And, uh, and, you know, there, there were no specific ethics violations that I'm aware of since he became, since he got voted into the House. So it's not like he ever did this as a member of Congress. You know, it's up to voters to vote them out. It's a two-year term. So it's, it's very debatable. I'm not even assuming that he is even, that he deserves this. But that's not the point. That's not why the Republicans are doing it. They're doing it because they cave into the media pressure. They're always doing that. They're always watching their back, always afraid of negative media attention. And as a result, they do things that actually hurt themselves politically. Welcome to the Yaakov M. Show on VIN News, Yeshiva International, Nakubadio, send me an email, josh at vinnews.com, josh at vinnews.com.
Com. All right, the mainstream media, we know, is extremely concerned about Joe Biden's age. And now they're talking, they're actually literally discussing the bubble wrap strategy. You can't make this stuff up. And again, no Babylon B. this is the real thing. Democrat strategists and now the New York Times and the media, they're considering putting Joe Biden in bubble wrap. Now, that's not literal. They're not literally putting him in bubble wrap, although it wouldn't be a terrible idea. You know, bubble wrap, that stuff that you love to pop, that stuff that, well, nowadays, all kids know. When I was a kid... You didn't see bubble wrap as often because you weren't always ordering things on Amazon. There was no Amazon. And, you know, once in a while you'd get something in the mail, fragile, and it would be surrounded by bubble wrap. And then we got to go and pop. It would be an, an argument, you know, a fight with my siblings. Who would he be the one to get to, uh, to to pop the bubble wrap, which was always fun. And then, of course, we would end up splitting it up. But now every kid knows bubble wrap. Every You know, if you walk up to any house pretty much and there's like multiple boxes there virtually every day because everything's being ordered online. Kids don't know what it is to even walk into a store and buy something anymore. But now they want to wrap Biden in bubble wrap. Not literally, but if they could, they would. So here, but but that's what they're talking about. In other words, they want to protect him. They want to protect him from falling. They want to protect him literally from like being able to to physically harm himself. That part is not satire. That's not exaggeration. That's actually what they're talking. They're just calling it the bubble wrap strategy. They want to keep him from making too many public appearances. They want to keep him off staircases. You know how every time he goes up the stairs to Air Force One, he ends up stumbling. And it, here's the thing, okay? Number one, it's not about his age. It's definitely not about his age. Why are they making it about his age? It's about his cognitive... It's not about any of that. Number one, it's not about his age. It's about his cognitive abilities. Number two, it's not about his cognitive abilities. It's about the fact that he's the worst president in U.S. history, and he's a total disaster, and he has destroyed... The country. And he's giving Iran billions and billions of dollars. The economy, inflation's totally out of control. Uh, the southern border's out of control. The cities are overridden with crime. Oh, oh, they're overridden with hom- homeless people. Anytime President Xi is not in a certain city, an inner city, urban city, the homeless people are all over the place. It's, it's only President Xi that makes them, Democrats, actually clear away the homeless. So that's what it's about. But they're making it about his age. Why? Why are they not making it about his policies? Because they want somebody even more radical. They want Gavin Newsom. They want Michelle Obama. They want somebody even more left. So they're not going to talk about Biden's policies. The age, it's just a distraction. They're talking about the age because then they can replace him with somebody. If they talk about his policies being a disaster, well, then why would you put in Gavin Newsom? Why would you put in Michelle Obama or somebody else? Somebody, you know, far left. So that's what this is about. Now, why are they talking about his age, not his mental deficiencies? Because... They want to be able to say, well, Trump is almost as old. That's really what it's about is they want to set up, well, Trump is no better. What, he's four years younger or five years younger. And and, and and they're going to say, well, Trump is almost as old as Biden was in 2020. And you Republicans said that Biden in 2020 was too old. So now Trump is too old, too. That's what this is really uh, all about. Democrat strategists say, quote, Biden needs to be allowed more time to rest and they shouldn't send him on so many draining international trips. Don't you hate it when you're like elected president and you have to go on all those draining international trips? You're the president of the United States. That sort of comes with the territory. That's part of the job. So literally a New York Times article says, as in in a bubble wrap strategy, encasing him in bubble wrap for the next 12 months to make sure he does not trip and fall. A recent NBC poll shows 86 percent of registered voters have concerns about Biden's physical and mental health. But Biden officials, they insist, according to this article, that this issue is just an obsession of the mainstream media. But basically, they say that it's fabricated. Quote from The New York Times, nothing irritates White House officials more than discussion of Biden's age, which they view as an obsession of the news media that does not correspond with the energetic. I'm reading here, New York Times, energetic and mentally sharp president. They describe inside the Oval Office when Mr. Biden shuffles when he walks talks in a low tone that can be hard to hear and sometimes confuses names and details in public. 
He maintains a crush while he does that stuff. He maintains a crushing schedule that would tire a younger president. This is the New York Times quoting, uh, I don't know, somebody Baker quoting some Democrat strategist. And, and you have to love this. I mean, when you talk about the New York Times reporting fake news, quote, I mean, they're quoting ba- this Baker, but quote, while Mr. Biden shuffles when he walks, talks in a low tone that can be hard to hear and sometimes confuses names and details in public sometimes, right? He maintains a crushing schedule that would tire a younger president. Give me a break. And uh, analyst John Judas said, quote, I think a lot of voters, young people in particular, not put off by his political positions or accomplishments are put off by his utter failure as a regal persona. I don't know how that can be fixed, not by bicycling. Biden's best hope is the voters' perception of Trump as bad or even an evil father who wants to wreck the family. Like That's the strategy here. The strategy is, all right, guys, Biden's negatives. He can go bicycling in, you know, on, in the street with his wife, which he does as a photo op to try to show his youth. It ain't going to work. The only hope you have is that Trump is even worse, that Trump is basically uh, a, 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 a complete psychopath. They convince people that, 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 that Trump is like a... Like a mass murder, like a, like a serial killer. All right, so I've been getting pushback about Elon Musk. I've been getting pushback. A lot of callers are telling me that either Elon Musk is an anti-Semite or that if he's not an anti-Semite, you know, we should be hard. We should we should criticize him more harshly for his tweet where he affirmed an anti-Semitic, viciously anti-Semitic tweet. And they tell me, well, what if it was a Democrat? By the way, not that Elon Musk is a Republican, but yeah, we're aligned, especially when it comes to freedom of speech. And look, Elon Musk, he has pushed back against the you know weaponization of of, of the government. For the sake of the left, push back on censorship, and he's you know he's he's been 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 even a defender of Trump. He reinstated Trump, so there are a lot of things Musk has done that we like. I'll, I will grant you that. So you tell me I'm biased in favor of Musk? Could be, but they tell me, well, what if it were somebody on the left? What were if it were a Democrat d- doing what Musk did? Wouldn't I be condemning them? Number one, I, I probably would not call them an anti-Semite. I'm very very careful in the term using the term anti-Semite. And uh, yeah, I use it about Elon Omar Rashida Tlaib, but like, I don't think that's very debatable or controversial. But Elon Musk, he has not done anything. I'll continue to defend him. And he has been super apologetic just the last couple of days. Elon Musk has come out showing tremendous regret, remorse, and uh, he came out with a, with, a, with a strong apology about that tweet. And you're going to tell me, well, he's just, he's cleaning his mess. This is what people are telling me is, yeah, he's, he's mopping up his mess. And Elon Musk is not somebody who's afraid. He has lost uh, sponsors before. He has lost a lot of things because of his public views. It's not wise. He expresses his political opinion, and it's very unpopular in leftist circles, and that has hurt him with Twitter. It's hurt him with Tesla. He get he gets banished. You know, a lot of the uh, perks that electric vehicle companies get, EV companies, he has the number one. Tesla is by far the biggest and most successful EV company, and yet he doesn't get government subsidies. He doesn't get invited to all these parties and conferences and everything else by the Democrats because... They despise Elon Musk. So he's not somebody who goes and mops things up for political expediency. That's what I would argue. And uh, and, and he insists that when he went to Israel, it wasn't because he's trying to get advertisers back for Twitter. And I take it at face value. Everything he has done has been in favor of Jews anytime he's done anything, except for that one tweet where he basically reaffirmed and then clarified, I don't know, I'm sorry, it's going to take more than that to convince me that this man has a shred of anti-Semitism or, or dislike for Jews in his body. And I think the opposite. I think he called himself a philo-Semite, and every move that he's made, again, he has an issue with the ADL. I also have an issue with the ADL. We have the same issue. And the ADL is woke, and the ADL has done fa- a lot more damage to the Jewish causes than, than Musk. And I'm going to stand by that until somebody shows me otherwise. Now, let me read you here what he himself said. He was at some kind of, it was actually a New York Times, some kind of conference that was run by the New York Times, and he was interviewed. 
And he said, quote, he said that responding to that anti-Semitic tweet, he said, quote, it was the most foolish thing. And to say, well, he's doing all of this because he's saying the right things because he's trying to mop up and clean up his mess and get back advertisers. Look, I don't see Elon Omar mopping up. OK, I don't see Kanye West. You know, when you have real I, mean, I don't see Candace Owens, if Candace Owens would go and apologize and show remorse to Jews and say all the right things and talk about how sorry she was and seem sincere and go visit Israel and go visit the, the you know, the the areas that were ravaged by terror attacks and everything. That would do something for me. I would I would give her a chance, okay? There are cer- certain people have crossed the line and there's no turning back. But, like, I give people a chance. Uh, just very often the apology is more pitiful than the original, uh, you know, incriminating thing to begin with, not with Musk. He said it was the most foolish thing he's ever done on Twitter, it, tweeting that tweet. He called it his dumbest post, and he called himself a philo-Semite, which means a Jew lover. He said, quote, I'm sorry for that post. It was foolish of me. Of the 30,000, it might literally be the worst and dumbest post I've ever done. Uh, it was at the New York Times Summit on Wednesday, and he says he gave a loaded gun to anti-Semites. Um, and yes, 100 advertisers have su- suspended their um, Twitter advertising campaigns. Quote, essentially handed a loaded gun to those who hate me, arguably to those who are anti-Semitic. And for that, I'm quite sorry. That was not my intention. And he said it was not an apology tour when he visited Israel, met with Netanyahu, met with uh, President Herzog, etc., met with Benny Gantz. He said, and what's incredible is that um, on that trip, Elon Musk, you probably have heard this, he got a dog tag, a symbolic dog tag from the father of an Israeli hostage, the father of hostage Omer Shemtov. And uh, of course, we, you know, our, our, our hearts are with him, our tefillahs are with him, and he should be freed soon and he should be as comfortable as possible for, for as long as he's being held captive, but he should be freed as soon as humanly possible. Now we daven that that, that that happened very soon, but 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 he got this um, dog tag from the, the the father, saying, "Quotes: Our hearts are hostage in Gaza. Our hearts are held hostage in Gaza. Something along those lines." And Elon Musk took it, put it around his neck, and he tweeted later that day. That was Monday. He said, "I'll wear it every day until your loved ones are released." And he has been spotted on video in subsequent appearances wearing that tag. So again, taking him at face value, and we have to, you know, I don't know exactly if he's been wearing it constantly, like he said, but obviously he has followed through because there have been videos that have shown he didn't have to be wearing it and he's wearing it and he's, and he, and he didn't have to pledge that he's going to, and he did. So it's pretty, pretty amazing seeing him reach out and seeing him express these types of feelings, uh, toward the Jews. All right. Democrat Ro Khanna, socialist leftist Democrat Ro Khanna, a congressman from California. He tweeted this ridiculous tweet and Ben Shapiro responded to it. I wanted to share it with you because this shows you the mentality, the absurd, ludicrous mentality by the left. Here's what he tweeted. Quote, the national debt. Think about this. Think about what he says here. Quote, the national debt was caused by four things. Reagan's tax cuts, Bush's tax cuts, Trump's tax cuts and Bush's overseas wars. We don't need this is all the tweet. We don't need a fiscal commission to study this. Everyone knows Mike Johnson's fiscal commission will recommend cuts in Social Security and Medicare. Instead, we need to end the tax breaks for the ultra ultra rich. So what's he saying? He's saying that tax cut. Now, we can debate the economics of it when you cut taxes of the of the wealthy. That happens to increase revenue because guess what? The rich people are the ones who own the businesses. They're, they're the ones hiring the rest of us. They're the ones hiring people and paying the, their uh, paying their paycheck. I understand you do need to tax the wealthy. I'm not saying don't tax them anything. But the tax brackets, uh, brackets are insane. And there are all sorts of loopholes. So they end up not paying the taxes. Elon Musk, Warren Buffett can all tell you about that. But either way, but I don't even want to get into that. Putting all that aside, the national debt was caused by tax cuts. Reagan's tax cuts, Bush's tax cuts, Trump's tax cuts. 
The national debt cannot be caused by tax cuts. Tax cuts means you're taking, let's say you would cut taxes to zero. That doesn't cause a debt. What causes the debt is all the, all the spending. The spending is what caused, now you could say, but we need tax money to offset it. But cutting taxes, that whole mindset, the Democrat mindset, cutting taxes causes the debt is insane. It's insane. It's what's created this whole mess here because, oh, the Republicans, they're at fault because they cut taxes. In other words, it's socialism, right? We're entitled, the government's entitled to your money. It only makes sense to say the debt, debt cannot be caused by not taking in enough money. Debt, it can only start from spending. And that is the fundamental difference between Democrats and Republicans is that Republicans, at least conservative Republicans, they understand that people have a right. The default is I get to keep my tax dollars. And you want me to, you want to force me to pay tax money. You need to explain it. You need, you need to actually, you need to justify it. Okay. You can't just go and spend and spend and spend on Ukraine and everything else. And, uh, and, and, and Medicaid for illegals, mil- millions, literally millions of illegals uh, on Medicaid and all these programs and everything else. And it's funded by the federal government. And, uh, you tell me, well, oh, but the tax cuts, when I cut your taxes, that's what's causing the debt. Because the spending, oh, well, we're, of course we're allowed to spend. Oh, ta- well, tax money, give me your tax money. Well, it's my money. No, 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 it's not. It's the government's money. So it's only the Karl Marx, the Marxist belief of the, the, the national debt is actually caused by tax cuts. That's what he said. And that's what Ben Shapiro essentially responded, quote, tax cuts are not government expenditures. My income is not the government's money. Defense spending is not the predominant spending problem. The debt is from Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security and other exorbitant social redistributist redistributist spending programs. Full stop. That was uh, Ben Shapiro's response. It was a great response. By the way, there's some wacky leftist who responded to Ben Shapiro's tweet, some unknown, you know, not not a politician or anything. He said, quote, his, his, his handle is DC Lawyer on Twitter. He said, quote, I worked hard and paid into Social Security for 40 years. No twerp is going to tell me I have to eat dog food after 65. So here we go again. I worked hard. So now the government is after 65. I'm entitled to this money that I paid into. And now you're going to feed me dog food. And, and that is like classic, classic Democrat rhetoric and talking points. Uh, caller asked me, what are Ron DeSantis? And by the way, there was a big debate uh, on Sean Hannity between Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom. I, didn't, I, I, I listened to a lot of it, not all of it. It was an entertaining debate. I think a lot of people uh, would find it tedious and into the weeds. I, I, I will say this. I, I thought Ron DeSantis performed extremely well. I thought Gavin Newsom did well. Look, Gavin Newsom is defending the indefensible because his state, California, and his socialist policies are a total disaster. So, like, you know, so for, for anybody to be able to get up there, I saw he may be talented. But Gavin Newsom may be talented. doesn't mean that I agree with one thing that he says. I don't. And I, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of Newsom at all, but I can still concede the fact that he may be intelligent and may be a talented debater. And, uh, and, you know, and DeSantis held his own. The problem is they got way too into the weeds with the taxes and the economy and the COVID figures, a lot of numbers. They're both numbers guys. And that's how they think. They think in terms of numbers and like comparing states, unemployment rates and taxes and COVID and, 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 and all sorts of things. And it's like they, they're literally quoting contradictory because you, know, you can find statistics like Mark Twain said, you know, one of the forms of lying is statistics because you can manipulate them so many different ways. So, the, the you know, you have literally uh, uh, Gavin Newsom claiming that Florida has a much had a much higher covid death rate than than California. And you have Fox Hannity's own graphic that says that they were basically the same, even though California was locked down for over a year. 
and the schools were shut down and Florida reopened after weeks and Florida was like the most open state in the country. Everybody was flocking down to Florida. So I think it got a little bit into the weeds. I don't think people, I think people want to hear about Iran. I think people want to hear about the southern border. They want to hear about Biden's mental faculties. It's not more, it's not a state by state issue as much national issues. At least that's my opinion. I don't mind. I actually like hearing these debates. But like I said, the problem is the fact checks because you literally have them quoting all these contradictory statistics and you don't know what to believe. I tend to strongly believe that DeSantis's statistics are correct and Fox News and Sean Hannity's for the most part. But either way, you know, maybe we'll get into that next time. But it was an interesting debate and just the whole drama that, you know, I, I give them both credit because it's very rare to have this kind of head to head debate. Now, what's really happening is Gavin Newsom wants to be the candidate, not in 2028 and 2024. DeSantis even said that. He said, you're running for president. You just don't want to admit it, which was a good line. But, uh, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me because that's what Newsom that is his game plan here. If, if nobody knows that Biden is going to drop out, but if Biden drops out or something else happens, you know, that's beyond his control that forces him to not be in the race, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the question is going to be, so who takes over? And uh, Newsom very badly is like vying for that. Um, so the question is, what are DeSantis and Nikki Haley thinking? Because we know they're not going to win the primaries and they're almost certainly not going to be chosen by Trump as a running mate. And Chris Christie, for that matter, Chris Christie, I think he just has venomous hatred for Trump. So he just wants to just have this, you know, kind of this pulpit, uh, the, the, this platform to bash Trump. DeSantis and Haley, to me, I think they're thinking about 2028. If you look at historically, the number two, the runner up, usually, right? I mean, uh, Bush was the exception because he had Bob Dole ran in 1996. There was no real runner up. But, uh, you know, if you look at, you know, Al Gore was the candidate in 20, in, in the year 2000. And then in 20, in 2008, McCain was the candidate. He actually was runner up to Bush in 2000. Uh, then in 2012, Romney, Romney was the runner up in 2008. So generally the runner up, it's all different now because Trump has totally changed the whole nature of politics. But generally speaking, generally the, the runner up has a lot of clout and it helps them raise a ton of money. So they're going to be able to raise a ton of money in 2020 and they're young. DeSantis is young. Nikki Haley is young, you know, respectively, uh, or at least, um, relatively, right? Washington, D.C. has spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to repaint BLM artwork. You cannot make this stuff up. There's a there's a BLM plaza. There's literally street art. BLM street art in Washington, D.C. It's chipping and fading. So they're giving it a facelift. So here's what's incredible is this is anti-police graffiti. BLM is anti-cops. The anti-police graffiti is the, the Washington, D.C. is spending tax dollars. Crime is raging out of control. They have made budget cuts, okay? They defunded the police in Washington, D.C. As a result, crime is out of control. And now they're spending $270,000 on a paint job to refresh BLM Plaza, Black Lives Matter Plaza. You can't make this stuff up. Again, sounds like the Babylon Bee. Meanwhile, violent crime in Washington, D.C. has spiked 40% in, 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 since last year. Um, the decision to repaint the anti-police street art which features 50-foot yellow letters along two blocks of 16th Street outside of the White House, how appropriate, comes as Washington, D.C. has implemented millions in budget cuts to the Metro PD. Crime has skyrocketed. Zach Smith, a crime and justice expert at the Heritage Foundation, said, quote, it's insulting on multiple fronts. He said, if the city council and the mayor's office are serious about combating violent crime, protecting the lives of all citizens, but particularly black lives, they would pour money into public safety, particularly more police officers, Instead, the city is prioritizing performative gestures that do not have an impact on combating violent crime, and it sends the message that violent crime will be tolerated. A large percent of the 40% increase in violent crime comes from 34% increase in homicides in Washington over last year, and robbery has increased by 68%, and we've told you about all the carjackings. They literally have a carjacking dashboard. Washington, D.C. has a carjacking dashboard. I have news for you. If you did this, where you go and look at the, at the carjacking statistics. If your city gets a car, carjacking dashboard, run. Run for the hills. Get out. 
Um, okay, now a shocking new report out of Israel, but let's see here. You know, I, uh, all right, well, we really should save this for when we talk about that New York Times report, but essentially, the Shin Bet was aware, this is even before the New York Times story, it says that there was some kind of document where they actually saw the plans, the Hamas plans, but, but this story said, this is from a few days ago, the Shin Bet was aware of a massive threat posed by Hamas, and the Shin Bet recommended to Netanyahu, and I don't know if this is true, but I must report it because it's out there, and I don't believe Netanyahu has denied it, that they recommended that, that Netanyahu assassinate Hamas leaders, including Yahya Sinwar. And Sinwar, of course, was a terrorist who was traded, swapped for Gilad Shalit. And uh, Sinwar is the mastermind, they're saying. Evil, evil, evil monster, subhuman, there are no words. But, um, you know, the Sinwar, the, the, they actually recommended assassinating Sinwar. This is according to Ma'ariv, the, the Israeli newspaper. And this came, I guess, from a very leftist um, critic of Netanyahu, this this story, this article. I'm sorry, Netanyahu does deny the reports. I apologize. I said Netanyahu did not deny this. Netanyahu denies this. He denies that uh, you know he was that it was recommended to him by the Shin Bet that he assassinate leaders of Hamas over the past year. So look, who knows? Um, meanwhile, um, they, all right, we'll save this stuff for, for next time. But Sinwar spoke openly of a flood of soldiers who would enter. So there were a lot of threats. You know, the, in other words, the, the original question was, well, how did this, how did Intel drop the ball so badly? How were they not aware? It takes a lot of coordinating to plan this kind of attack. Well, now there are reports seeping out. I don't know the truth. They're not verified that, the, you know, the Intel agencies were more aware than we came to realize. Um, so that is pretty interesting. And meanwhile, uh, according to Palestinian Media Watch, Nine terrorists who were part of the attack of the Shemini Atzeres Simchas Torah attack. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Nine terrorists. I apologize. Nine terrorists that were released in exchange for Israeli hostages are going to get paid for life as part of this the pay to slay program. Um, because they have served more than five years in Israeli prison. PA law, which is by the way funded in part by Joe Biden, our tax dollars. Palestinian Authority law grants every terrorist a monthly salary from the day of the arrest until the day of release, and the salary goes up the longer they're in prison. Terrorists in prison more than five years. The PA continues to pay their final their final monthly prison salary for life. So the PA will be paying four of the released terrorists two thousand shekels a month for life, and the five who are Jerusalem residents get a bonus. So they get twenty three hundred shekel per month. I mean, it's just totally disgraceful. Totally disgraceful. The PA pays over three hundred million dollars a year to terrorist prisoners, as well as the families of dead terrorists. By the way, Israel has arrested thousands of terrorists since October 7th, and all of the imprisoned terrorists and the families of the dead terrorists are receiving monthly awards. So they're literally our tax dollars, thanks to President Biden, funneling it to the PA. They're actually paying uh, the October 7th terrorists and their, and their families. You know, Biden's literally funding it. A CNBC host admitted that Biden is allowing Iran to breach sanctions in order to keep oil prices down. I guess we shouldn't be shocked. Senior CIA official has posted a pro-Palestinian image on social media. He has not been reprimanded. The CIA is now, they're warning their employees in general, please do not post uh, pro-Hamas or pro-Palestinian or pro-terrorist images online or anti-Semitic images. But they, they, but they're assuring us this senior CIA official has not been reprimanded because his personal views in no way reflected or interfered with his job performance. It reminds me of uh, Peter Strzok. Remember Peter Strzok and Lisa Page when they were uh, basically in charge of the witch hunt of the Russia hoax against Trump, 
And they had texted all back and forth about how much they love Hillary Clinton and about how Trump, they could smell the Trump support when they walked into Walmart. Had Like they just had, they, they viewed Trump supporters as deplorable, but that in no way impacted. And they made up this, this fabricated uh, investigation into Trump and got him impeached. But th- their personal views in no way impacted their professional uh, approach to uh, law enforcement and conducting investigations. Um, Alejandro Mayorkas, the DHS secretary, he said that the 12 million people in the United States illegally, quote, have been contributing so fundamentally to our country's well-being. They're our neighbors, our friends, our fellow congregants. They're frontline workers. Uh, unbelievable, Mayorkas. I mean, this man should, should be impeached. Uh, MTG has tried to impeach him, but of course it hasn't happened yet. Mayorkas, DHS secretary, he said that millions of illegals that are in the country are contributing fundamentally to our country's well-being. Our neighbors, our friends, fellow congregants. Uh, it's unbelievable. I mean, and this man is in charge. I mean, this is a disgrace. The man should be thrown in jail. Uh, it, it's just, it's a total disgrace. Meanwhile, Biden is putting pressure on Israel now as they resume the fighting. Uh, he's telling them, you know, when they go in, when they invade South Gaza, the southern part of Gaza, they have to be very careful, more careful than they've been. They're getting a ton of pressure now, Israel, to avoid civilian casualties, uh, in, in, in Gaza. So we're going to keep an eye on that because the Democrats are getting more and more divided on Israel. And Biden, now Blinken, uh, gave these very stern warnings to Netanyahu. They're putting a ton, a ton of pressure on Israel and on uh, Netanyahu. Meanwhile, uh, NYPD officers are leaving the police force in New York City in droves. There's a massive number of retirements at an alarming rate, according to data from the New York Post. Um, it's only getting worse because now Eric Adams' budget cuts He's refusing to hire new cops. So a total of 2,516 NYPD cops have left the police force, and the year's not over yet. That's just in this year, the fourth highest number in the past decade, 43% more than the number of tw- in 2018 before COVID and crime spikes hit the city. Uh, but the most shocking part is the number of cops retiring before they reach their full pension. After 20 years, they reach their full pension, but the number of police who are requ- retiring prior to their 20-year full pension hitting that threshold is is uh way way up it's a thousand and forty this year it was five hundred and nine back in twenty twenty so it's basically double um what it was and it's not the year's not even over yet and because cops you know there's a, they have a huge amount of overtime the morale is very very low i mean nypd cops for the most part are miserable and look you know who can blame them i mean with da bragg and with the prosecution and uh bail reform and all of that it's just, it's, it is not fun. It is not pleasant, not to mention the danger that they go through every day. That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.